Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. All right, welcome back to the Ohioan. And one of the things we've been talking a lot about lately has been sports betting. Uh, There's a proposal going on that just passed the Senate, and it is headed toward approval. And in the past where there were some people that were kind of concerned about, is this going to be reality or some objections? It seems like we're moving full uh, scale forward in the game that's done. And um, I'm happy here to have Yaniv Sherman. Uh, he's the head of U.S. and SVP at AA Holdings. You might say, what is that? Well, it's one of the most world's most popular legalized online sports betting companies. And I want to have someone who's an expert in the field to kind of tell us what this means um, and what this means for Ohio and how this could look in Ohio. So, Yaniv, thanks for coming on. How's it going today? Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me going great. Fantastic. Well, I, you guys raised some great questions when you sent me the press release. I wanted to talk to, to you about them. Uh, let's first start talking about what does this legalization mean for Ohio, in your opinion? Oh, Ohio, I think um, one of the largest states just by sheer population and also by economical force. And it's also uh, a prominent sports state uh, from a professional level, collegiate level. Um, so it's, it's very much in the DNA. I had the fortune of visiting uh, Columbus, Ohio last year, and it's just run through and through sport. And as a result, um, a lot of the people, the propensity or the uh, uh, sports betting is sort of embedded inside the sports culture. It's just today uh, in the U.S. in general and places that haven't legalized yet, um, that is done offshore. So it's not regulated by local state authorities and federal authorities and the companies who are offering these products are not paying local taxes. Legalizing that would mean we'll be operating under state law. Companies will be regulated by the proper authorities and agents and we'll be paying taxes locally. So the, the funds will be going back to the community, which is the prime focus of uh, an, an agenda for policymakers in any state. You talked about regulation in um, you know, it's interesting. I, you know, we think about sports betting, you know, 20, 30 years ago where you have point shaving and you had, you know, some under, under CD things kind of going on and everything. What has happened since then, in your opinion, that'll take care of that? That'll take away some of the potential pitfalls of, you know, what's happened in the past now as we're on the precipice of making it legal across the state and I'm sure other states across the country. Well, you can think about it this way. I mean, 30 or 40 years ago, Vegas had the same perception of sort of a CD kind of, it's not even longer than that, run by the mob. 
And what happened there is, is are two things. First of all, well, one happened first, regulation or the law descended on, on Vegas. And when the entry barrier was higher, only real corporate players with more capital that were also able to offer better, better product experience. Think about a Vegas hotel in 1960 and think about a Vegas integrated resort today. These, uh, these are completely different and this is no different here. What you're talking about is mostly is the legal market, whether it's your local bookie or offshore sports books that offer um, what, we, what I would refer to as, as a, an inferior product experience, but also offer it to a very specific crowd, much smaller crowd, maybe more profitable, but it's a smaller crowd. And what regulation does is sort of turns that into a broader base of potential customers you're now able to advertise more freely, but on the other hand, you're also accountable for your actions. And online is no different than that. And the only sense is in online, we don't meet our customers like any e-commerce destination. So we have to know a lot about them, a lot more about them to make sure that we're protecting them and also we're working per regulation. So that's the main difference between an unregulated proposition in a regulated one, and we have some work to do on our end to educate um, the market, the players, policymakers, investors, to go basically get away from what you just mentioned, that this is the, the main connotation that people that are not in the industry have of, of, uh, of the sector. And think about it this way. I mean, online gaming companies today, a lot of them are public. We've been public since 2005. We consider ourselves digital entertainment destination uh, digital gaming destinations and entertainment, but it's not your, you know, uh, the guy standing in the street corner, um, you know, taking bets. It's a lot more complicated and a lot more um, expensive too. And what we do in the media, you know, obviously we all have to have sources. You know, we want to break the best news. We want to have information on who's hurt, who's not, what's happening. I always hear, hear the joke about Vegas saying, hey, Vegas knows. And I'm assuming by that, you know, you guys have sources too. You guys can figure out what's the appropriate betting line and everything else. Do you see as gambling becomes more of an accepted form of entertainment, are you going, like, are you guys using more people to kind of figure out what's happening? Because I'm assuming you have kind of like your own media to figure out, you know, who's hurt, who's not, who do you perceive to have the best chance of winning from game to game? Um. First of all, I think that betting uh, is a lot more of a of a entertainment destination. It's a lot more acceptable today. But on on the data, there's a lot more data today. But it's all around. So yes, in the past, bookies or uh, sports books uh, had access to information that the ordinary person or uh, guy on the street didn't have. A little bit before that, so they can set the lines and the prices. Today. It's more along the lines of you pricing your risk accordingly, okay? And it's also tied to how strong your brand is and your product. If you have a better brand and a better product, people are willing to pay a little bit extra to have a better experience. At the end of the day, sport is driven by external events, okay? We cannot predict them. We can only price them in over a, you know, a longer period of time. Statistically, you, you hope to be in a position that you know, you would be uh, advantageous, but it's always a give or t and take uh, experience. And I would say that today, data is, is, is faster, a lot more of it, but it's all around. I mean, people open their Twitter accounts, 
it travels lightning fast, especially when it, it comes to pre-match. I think the biggest revolution in our field, besides mobile, it's, it's almost 100% mobile in other parts of the nation and not in the U.S. still, but in-play betting, which again is, is, is smaller in the U.S., but it, from our experience, in-play betting account for the vast majority of sports bets globally today. People enjoy those more, and those you have to price as you move along. But I can tell you that you know if you look through the years, 20, 30 years, the margins that sports books uh, hold have been quite steady because from the flip side of it, people wouldn't place bet if they thought the house, as you mentioned, has a disproportionate or um, predatory advantage in, the, in those regards. And in online, we have to be extra competitive because you're about a click away from moving to the competition. It's not like a land-based casino that you have to walk from one to another. But I would imagine, too, it's so important for you to have that information early. Like, I think of the NBA the other day. There was some huge breaking news. I mean, Chris Paul, yeah. uh, you know, got COVID. and He's going to be out for a bit. Uh, you think about the Clippers star, Kawhi Leonard, who's going to be out for a little bit, too. Is that a concern saying if we don't know that earlier or, or know that in the earliest stages of then, you know, falling asleep and missing it, do you guys lose money that way? Because well, obviously you need to adjust your line to take it off the, the board yeah, if something crazy I like think that. You, used a, you, used a, you used an example where, I mean, it's so visible. I mean, if you're asking when the second Kawhi Leonard is injured, does the line move? It probably waits to see what the results or whether he'll be playing over the next game. But I can tell you that at this level with professional teams, unless it's really, you know, um, a dramatic, like COVID is a, is a dramatic uh, development, especially if more than one player has it. But it doesn't move the line that dramatically in the sense where it's more, I would say, sensitive is individual sports. Like if your leading pitcher in baseball uh, is injured, I think it has a more dramatic effect because it's basically it's, it's him against the batter. Same goes for tennis or golf. Um, but overall, team sport, single players do not move lines that dramatically. And in any case, that information travels at light speed. I mean, the fact that I have it two minutes before you do doesn't really mean much, especially when a big portion of the bets is pre-match. So you have enough time to adjust the line. And if someone plays the bet right after that, it sort of flattens it itself out. But you do need to have more information to be able to offer more bettable events and price them accordingly. Because today, when we offer, we take an, an average NBA game, we have dozens of markets or dozens of events through the game that you can bet on. Like, uh, you know, the, the points quarter, over, under in a quarter, who, who hits yeah. the first, who takes the tip off. These things need to move. Technology, by the way, the, one of the biggest developments there that we've invested heavily in in 888 uh, has, been, uh, has been automation and artificial intelligence because today you used to have traders sitting in front of a computer and trading single event and then a few events. But today a single trader, the amount of events that he needs to deal with on an ongoing basis is just um, almost unfathomable. So it's more along the lines of presenting the information for a human decision, but the algorithms actually perform a lot of the work. So it's not the classic pricing that you uh, you know you you were used to. People think about as you mentioned, like the critical pre-match events. These are far less, and especially with the professional teams, so much attention is directed and even the collegiate teams division one teams so much attention is is, is focused on these teams um and these athletes 
for them to or for the for the game itself to undergo any any manipulation it's it's highly unlikely and the price there for for uh, whoever's involved is so high i just i mean it's it's purely suicidal there's so much data coming from every which direction your ability to do that has diminished through the years considerably it's good you know lower leagues maybe some tournaments that's being run on uh, like third league soccer in kazakhstan but then you know you see a spike in bets and you realize something's maybe off and you you deal with that but um, i'm more concerned about you know the digital this digital day and age about all sorts of fraud and and uh, hacking a lot more than i am with point shaving or any of the content related i know there's been a lot of discussion around collegiate events and not compromising them which i fully respect just people i think need to better understand how these works in an ncaa like in ohio state football game there's so much media attention for someone to tamper with uh is i mean it's just as i said it's highly unlikely it's all borderline suicidal for whoever's involved well yeah i appreciate your explanation because it's a fascinating look at there's obviously like you said the point you know, the point spreads and everything else is definitely factored by who's betting what. Like, if everyone tomorrow bet that the Phoenix Suns are going to NBA title, that's going to change your lines, even if Chris Paul's out for a while. Yeah. Um, but, but it's an interesting look because obviously you guys got to be good at what you do because if you don't know what you're doing, you know, you're going to lose money based on that point spread. So, very interesting. I want to talk briefly about um, the economic impact. Uh, you were mentioning about that. Obviously, you know, and I think that's why Ohio legislators are more interested this time saying, hey, we want to be able to have our cut of this money. So, you know, we're supporting this. Um, when you guys, you know, do estimates, obviously the estimates are going to look good and everything. How convinced are you that the estimates are realistic? Because I know in the past, sometimes people say, oh, this is going to bring billions into the area. And, you know, maybe that was too optimistic. Do you feel like your estimates are pretty optimistic in this case? Oh, we well, you know, we're, we're a public company like a lot of the other companies uh, involved in this space. So we have to be prudent about our estimation. We can't just throw, I know that a lot of numbers are being thrown out there. Um, yeah. Some of them by analysts, some of them by, you know, for us, again, it's, it's not, I'm speaking for the company, we're, we're very prudent in the sense that uh, we need to stand behind what we project, both from our, um, uh, you know, achievements and execution and, and the market. Um, I'm just doing the math because there's enough, enough states now live that you can benchmark against. So Ohio, if you take, for instance, uh, well, New Jersey is, is slightly different, but you take other states like Indiana, Illinois, that has been where started publishing their numbers, or in New Jersey, uh, you know, in Ohio is bigger than New Jersey, but then New Jersey, you're looking at sports betting right now as a, as a market worth between five to $600 million, okay? Um, if you take that and just extrapolate it, sort of adjust it for GDP, you're getting to either the similar or slightly higher number on a sort of, um, I would say, conservative trajectory. Uh, it's just Ohio will probably ramp up a lot faster than New Jersey. It was early to the to the game and, and took a little bit more time, but it'll probably ramp up quicker. Um, so if you just take these numbers based on the direct impact, we're talking about, you know, depending on the taxation or tax level, you're talking about probably a few hundreds of millions of dollars in direct taxes to the states or tens of millions initially. But there's also an indirect impact 
whereby the companies, and this is also dependent on the eventual law or the framework, the more competitive it is, the more money goes into states. Um, the more competitive people market, people want to take more market share. And then the indirect impact is that the local uh, teams, the local uh, media agencies, the local billboards, newspapers, all of them take more marketing dollars. And initially, just to give you an idea, companies going into a regulated market typically reinvest into it for the first couple of years at least. So all the gaming revenue that you see, whether it's five, six hundred, seven hundred million dollars, actually goes back into the market in the form of investment. hundred percent or sometimes more, over a hundred percent of that is reinvested into the market because people are preoccupied with growth rather than profits. So that is a direct and indirect effect on uh, a market like such as Ohio, uh, which again is um, is well built for this. It has um, city centers unlike New Jersey, for instance, it doesn't have a metro. Our metro area is New York City, which is still uh, doesn't offer regulated gaming. It has metro areas. It has prominent sports teams and a lot of sports enthusiasts and fans. So I would I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about Ohio. It's not a matter of, uh, you know, if you higher or lower, but it, it will be a sizable market that a lot of competitors, a lot of online company would want to venture into. Yeah, and obviously you guys um, are in the online field um are you expecting i mean you know we have casinos around here we have um you know i've heard some talk that you can even put a kiosk in your local corner store or a gas station i mean do you see any limits or you think you're going to see us everywhere like all these and maybe more options for where to place the sports bet at uh i think there's a lot of debate around what we call retail or land-based sports betting I think eventually the the, um, the principal question is, do you want mobile mobile betting mobile betting in the state? If you do, in other states, mobile has been the vast majority, taking the vast majority of the market share. Um, places like New Jersey, places like Pennsylvania, um, that offer, by the way, all forms of product. That's another point: is that it, these states offer products like casino and poker alongside sport, which basically triples the market size. That's also something to factor in. Um, but as soon as you have it mobile, you essentially have it in your pocket. And then the main yeah. difference is... Why go anywhere? Yeah, why go anywhere? But it puts the onus on the regulated operators to perform their checks and also offer a safe gambling experience. Um, you know, Today, till this day, in land-based uh, casinos, and most of them, you can walk off the street, place a cash bet, and walk away without anybody knowing you were there. That doesn't happen in online. We know we are obliged to know who our customers. Go KYC, know your customers, 100% base. You need to provide your details. You need to make sure that you are who you are. You are of legal age. So we know a lot more about the customers than typical land-based do, unless you're a member of their loyalty programs, and then they know a little bit more. But we have to know who you are, and that is the main difference between putting a kiosk in a truck stop when anyone can actually do or or bet than doing it mobile or online. That's been sort of, again, we've been uh, talking to a lot of policymakers just to make sure that everybody understands because everybody has the unregulated market or the bookie in their head whereby it's pretty simple to place a bet. It's not simple. Uh, it's not a frictionless experience as far as we're concerned. Um, but that that's the main difference. And I think between a market like, if you take in Mississippi that only has retail and a market like, as we mentioned, Illinois, which opened up its 
full mobile experience and then closes back to in-person registration at some point, you see a dramatic difference. Online is growth. Retail, it's kind of, you know, you've done all the heavy lifting, but we're left with a much smaller addressable market. Very interesting. Well, you need, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I would say out there to people, you know, I, I'm sure some people are really excited about this. Some people are concerned. Um, get information. Read up what's happening. Yeah. Read up what's happening in the state house. Understand what the issues are. And, and if I really appreciate it. Because no matter what our listeners feel either way, it's good to get some background of what's happening, what, you know, these people are going to be involved. Obviously, you need this company. Uh, should this be approved, will be very interested coming in Ohio. And it'll be just interesting to hear. It's interesting just to hear what this would look like. And I hope that's a takeaway from our listeners for that. So, Yanine, thank you so much for your time. And, uh, yeah, keep us in mind. We'd love to talk to you more as this uh, becomes reality. I mean, uh, we had a story here in the Columbus Dispatch saying the Senate approved it. And I'm not seeing a lot of opposition from legislators or even uh, we're, groups. So. We're very hopeful and I uh, hope to be, uh, you know, being active and being in the state. Last time was a great experience, and I'm looking forward to being in Ohio again. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much. Hang on line just for a second afterwards. Wanted to um, ask you about something. And uh, thanks so much, everyone, for checking out the Ohioan. Uh, keep us in mind for uh, daily content. And have a great day. Thanks for checking us out. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high-impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope to learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.